Welcome to Mock 10 Sports and glad you're with us today for the Week 5 Review. We're going to go into some Week 6 Power Rankings, but we're going to review the Big 5 games in the SEC from this past week. Great week again. I've said it. you follow the podcast, follow the YouTube channel, any of it. I said this is when we're getting into the nitty gritty of who teams are. We're finding out strengths, weaknesses, tendencies, stuff like that. People, we just got done for the most part playing most teams. A lot of teams, as I say, have played at least one, some two conference game, two uh, conference games. But uh, I'm glad we're getting to the thick of things. The best time of year. We got college football getting in the mix of things. College basketball is starting to set up. Practice is starting fall practice for about five weeks uh, from tip-off. We had a little fall baseball going. We have Major League Baseball playoffs going. We don't cover Major League Baseball playoffs, but excited for it. But, hey, let's get into a little Week 5 thoughts. First, hey, let's open up with my week, going into my Week 6 SEC Power Rankings. Starting at 14. Let's start off at 14 today. Let's go with the Vanderbilt Commodores. Vandy, an improved team going into the week. They host Ole Miss this week. Um, I, I like what Clark Lee's doing here, but the Vanderbilt Commodores come in, la- uh, come in last May. I just don't think they have a lot of offensive firepower if they were to actually match up with teams like Auburn or Missouri, something like that. I think head-to-head, Auburn-Missouri would probably beat Vandy right now. wouldn't shock me if Andy, Vanderbilt were to beat one of those teams, but – I think you got to like, you got to give the nod to Auburn and Missouri, especially Missouri after this past weekend. But moving to 13, that's where I have the Missouri Tigers. Big game in Como this past weekend against Georgia. Held their own. Uh, probably out physical the Georgia offensive line for probably about three quarters. But i got to give it to Missouri there. I'm going to go with them at 13. Number 12, we're going to go to the Plains. We're going to the Auburn Tigers. I mean, still the struggles. In the second half of the Auburn Tigers right now. Just complete struggles. Haven't scored in a conference game in the second half yet. Defense is okay. They're getting some key injuries, though. EQ EQ Leota is out for the season with a torn pictorial muscle. Things don't look great on the Plains right now, but they're checking in at 12 this week. Number 11, the South Carolina Gamecocks. Um... Coming off some wins against some teams they should have beat, Charlotte and South Carolina State handled their business. They played last Thursday. They moved that game up due to the hurricane, Hurricane Ian. But the Game Cups come in at 11 for me. Uh, they got a big prove-it game this week to really help themselves get back into kind of the SEC East, kind of that third, fourth place in the East. If they could get it done this week in Lexington, which I don't know if they will. I saw opening lines. Minus 12.5, 13.5, Kentucky's favored. But a uh, little underwhelming performance from the Gamecock this year. Thought I'd get a lot more out of Spencer Rattler. It's not really the case. Someone to blame OC, Marcus Satterfield. Someone to blame the offensive, offensive line. Who knows? They're just not producing, and that's what matters right now. But they have an opportunity against one of the better teams in the SEC right now in Kentucky to go out there. Big game for Shea Beamer to go out there and kind of be like, hey, like, let's flex our muscles. Let's go out there and say, hey, we're competing for that second, third spot in the league. So big week for the Gamecocks. Moving up to 10, Texas A&M Aggies. After taking a big loss to Mississippi State this past week after two of big emotional wins against Miami and Arkansas the past two weeks. They Again, we called it very immature team. Headed to Starkville, Mississippi and just could not get it done. Got whipped in all three phases. Uh, big game as they go back. 
to uh, the area. They go to Tuscaloosa this week in the big showdown against Alabama. But going into this week, I got the Aggies sitting at 10. Number 9, LSU. LSU plummeted a little bit in the rankings this week. I mean, when you're only passing for 85 yards on offense, it looks like your quarterback's a little banged up. He he looks hesitant. Uh, he, right now, I just got to put the Tigers at 9. Now, again, they got a big show-me game this week. If they were to play well at home against uh, Tennessee this week in Baton Rouge, 11 a.m. kickoff, that would definitely surge you up the old Mach 10 power rankings. But with this being said right now, I thought LSU was improving after the Mississippi State game and the New Mexico game. And they have the defenses playing solid. They made plays when they have to. But uh, Auburn easily could have won that game, got out to 17-0 lead. Auburn kind of blew it. It looked like the house of horrors was ha- happening again for LSU. Uh, but Tigers plummet a little bit in my rankings. They're sitting there at 9. Number 8, the Arkansas Razorbacks took a loss to Alabama, as we expected here. Some thought Bama was on that upset alert, but... Arkansas, a little one-dimensional on offense. K.J. Jefferson a little beat up. And then the defense, man. Barry Odom's defense has been known to have been playing well here recently. Really struggled. Uh, just not an athlete. Not a very athletic overall defense, especially at the second level. Some would say third, but especially the second level. Bumper pulls a solid player for Arkansas, but very limited athletically. Um, Arkansas has got to get some things fixed through the portal after this year on defense. Right now, I think it's going to be a lingering issue all year. And if KJ Jefferson can't go, man, it's one of your better players. That'd be a tough loss right there. But I got the Hogs sitting at eight. Still some room to grow. Coming in at seven. Call me crazy. But I think Florida. I think Florida improved that week against Tennessee. I know it was the only Eastern Washington. They played on Sunday due to the hurricane. But they looked like they were improved. Florida looked like they were improving. I kind of like the Gators right now. Uh, they got a big one against... Missouri coming to Missouri, the Missouri Tigers coming into town to come to Gainesville this week. They need to get that win. Uh, Florida, I kind of like the direction they're going. Let's see. It's a little TBD, but I snuck them in there at seven. Uh, move them to six. Moving to six. Uh, the Mississippi State Bulldogs, again, another big win for them. I like the way they bounce back some. They, I know it's just Bowling Green, one of the worst MAC teams, but they got a big win two weeks ago against Bowling Green. They got a big win against Texas A&M, dominated in all three facets of the game. Mississippi State, another big one this week. Is the Razorbacks and Sam Pittman come to town this week? I like Mississippi State at home, but Mississippi State coming in and surging up to six for me. Number five, the Kentucky Wildcats. Man, really impressed me. Saw them in person. Uh, a very physical game. I keep saying going back to that between them and Ole Miss. Um, Will Levis. Some are going to say he underperformed. He didn't play good, but I wouldn't say he really did anything to hurt himself either. I mean, he needs to leave the pocket a little bit sooner. He's more athletic than people give him credit for. He can pick up the third and five, third and medium, third and long stuff. Um, but the offensive line's got to protect and get some push. You can tell Chris Rodriguez got him back. Um, they felt a little bit more comfortable, but still the yards per carry average didn't go up much except maybe like 0.2, 0.3. They're still around 2.6, 2.7 yards per carry. I think they were 2.3 going into the Ole Miss game. But Kentucky's physical on defense. They have a plan. Uh, I like the Cats sitting there at five. They got South Carolina this week. Moving to four, like the Ole Miss Rebels, again, they just played Kentucky. I, I mean, that was a very impressive game. I was real impressed with both those teams. Great atmosphere. I like what the Reds are doing on defense, playing with a tenacious D, playing with a chip on their shoulder right now. Defense forced turnovers, a little bend but don't break, but came up big when they had to. Um, the Ole Miss offense, Jackson Dart's looking more comfortable each week. I like that. The running game, 
Very articulate run game. Great first half game plan coming out by Lane Kiffin. The thing the Rebs got to shore up, though, is they've only scored three combined points in total in the second half of their last two games. A little bit similar in an Auburn type stat you'd hear, but only three points in the la- uh, combined in the last in the second half of their last two games. Only three points. That, that's got to change. They go on the road to Vanderbilt, get Auburn. They should start off 7-0, like we said. They, there comes the five-game gauntlet. Coming in at three, the Tennessee Volunteers coming off a of bye week. Big next two weeks. They go to Baton Rouge this week, and then they face the Tide, the Crimson Tide, trying to get exercise that demon of 16 years next year, next week in Neyland Stadium. Um, I, I just like Tennessee's offense. Very consistent. I know Cedric Tillman's out right now, but Jalen Hyatt's producing at high numbers. Brew McCoy looks like he's stepping up. Guys like Ramil Keaton uh, stepping up. I like the Vols right now. Just question at corner. Who's going to have a chance to t- attack that? I don't know if LSU will be able to attack that this week. But Tennessee did lose a starting corner, Warren Burrell, for the season. So them losing anybody at corner is a big loss right now. Moving to two. Call me crazy, but the Alabama Crimson Tide did what they had to do against Arkansas. Um, Bryce Young obviously went out, health concerned with him. It'll be interesting to see what happens to that. Apparently sprained AC joint. But I think I got the Tide still sitting at two. I like the way the defense is playing. I just want to see a little bit more consistency on the offensive line. I thought they played really well this past week, but I want to see it happen again. And uh, big question marks at quarterbacks. That's why I got the Tide sitting at two. And number one, Georgia. I know some people will be like, Dave, they struggled against Kent State and Missouri back-to-back weeks. How do you have them at one? I mean, right now, I think if Alabama and Georgia played, and an SEC championship game was on the line. SEC championship was on the line. I would take Georgia right now. I don't think that means Georgia's going to win in December, but right now, on October third, I think Georgia would win the game. And I know they've struggled some, struggling once they get to the red zone. But uh, the game, I mean, it was close. Don't get me wrong. Georgia didn't take the lead till four minutes. But if you go look at it, go the game within the game, dig a little more than surface level. You'll find out Georgia actually dominated the game but struggled in the red zone. But they have to get that fixed. They want to start beating some really good teams. But I'm still going to give Georgia the benefit of the doubt from what I've seen with my eyes, keep them at one. But those are my pal- week six, going into my week six power rankings. Let's go through it again. So Georgia sitting at one, Alabama at two, Tennessee at three, Ole Miss at four, Kentucky at five, Mississippi State at six, Florida at 7, Arkansas at 8, LSU 9, Texas A&M 10, South Carolina 11, Auburn 12, Missouri 13, and then Vandy at 14. This is my power rankings through what I see through my eyes, the research I'm doing. There's no formula, power rankings, stuff like that that you'd see on ESPN. Some of these guys, these are what my eyes have seen and what I think after doing some research. This is where I think teams sit going into week six. Um... Let's get into a review a little some of the games this week. Let's head to Fayetteville, Alabama versus Arkansas. Alabama got the win 49 to 26. The big story out of that is Bryce Young getting hurt second quarter, sprained AC joint, is what they're saying. Saban said, reports going around, it was a day-to-day thing. He's done it before. It's not a big deal, big picture thing. We'll see, though. It doesn't mean it won't be lingering. It'll be interesting to see if Bryce gets the start against Texas AM this week. Um, I thought Alabama's offensive line played really well, especially led by center Seth McLaughlin. Man, played really well. You were fired up. It's the first time you really saw the Tide kind of jump out and dominate, get some push up front against the Arkansas defense, climbing, getting to the second level. Uh, 
I'm not saying this in a bad way. Bright, hell, Alabama ain't winning the national. He's not winning the national championship without Bryce Young. But maybe that was a little, little of a blessing in disguise. Let the offensive line develop on the road. We had, they had to lean on him in the run game with Jameer Gibbs, Jace McClellan, and even um, with Jalen Milrow. Like his strength to run the football. Like I mean, so that you Bama's offensive line had to get pushed. And when it got close, they did. I mean, they, they finished the job. So maybe that will let the team grow up a little bit. Jameer Gibbs, what can you say about him? He's Alabama's best playmaker right now. Great game, finished with 226 yards, two touchdowns. Is easily Bama's best weapon right now. Bama rushed for a total of 317 yards, 7.5 yards per carry. Uh, Bama leads the nation. And scrimmage plays a 50 yards or more with seven. That's crazy. As you saw, Alabama's kind of separated themselves with some, some explosive runs late uh, against Arkansas. H- how about that game? Just a game of runs. Bama starts off, I believe, on a 28 to nothing run. Then Arkansas goes on their own 23 to nothing run, and Bama finishes the game with. With 21 to nothing run. It's kind of a crazy run getting off of that. Again, it would have made Eric Musselman and Nate Oates proud the way the runs games. That's Alabama, Arkansas, and Alabama's basketball coaches. Uh, but man, just crazy game of runs right there. Again, I mentioned Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow came in and finished four for nine, one touchdown, and rushed for 91 yards and for a touchdown. Not bad. Again, just came in. They didn't really have a game plan around him. That kind of benefited Bama and benefited Arkansas a little bit. Arkansas didn't have any film to prep for him, so I think that helps. But he converted a big third and 15 when the game was cut down to five. That Man, I really feel like Arkansas may have won the game if they didn't get the stuff. They would have got a stop there. But it didn't. It busted a big run, got inside the four, and the tide ultimately scored. Defense played solid for Bama. Uh, until the third quarter, so they started breaking a little bit, and then assi- then they assisted in the dominant fourth quarter when Bama went on a twenty-one to nothing run. But they gotta be disciplined. The penalties, like the the Henry Toa Toa penalty when Bama's about to get off the field, it led to an Arkansas field goal. That's that can't happen with your veteran players. That's just an immature team right there. We'll get to Bama's penalties here in a minute. Uh, Bama held Arkansas to fifty-seven yards less than their average on the ground. Arkansas still got theirs, but fifty-seven yards. Uh, less than their average against who I think is the most consistent rushing team in the league. I know Ole Miss is solid, is really good this year on the ground, but Arkansas, when you factor in the quarterback as a true extra running back or a threat to run the football, Arkansas it scares me the most. Um, listen, like I said, if Bryce Young plays the whole game, I don't think this game was ever really close. It was 21 to nothing when he went out, and then it became 28 to nothing. But I think Bama. It, it, the game wasn't as close as it made it out to be. Again, if Bryce Young plays, this game's never close, just like we called it. But when you throw in a backup quarterback, all things are off the table. The Arkansas defense, man, they just have to improve. I just, I, I just don't understand how they're that unathletic at the second level. It's bad. Barpool, solid college player, but man, I mean, if you made him try to take an angle towards Jameer Gibbs ten times, he wouldn't get there ten times. It just is what it is. It's not his fault. He just lacks the athletic ability and just. Team's going to start attacking that as the season continues. Arkansas is going to have to somehow disguise that, put an extra man in the box. People are just going to run right at them. And the problem if you're an Alabama fan right now is Alabama is currently 123rd in penalties per game in the country. They're averaging eight penalties they're getting. That's not good. It's not you know. It's not a recipe for success to win a championship. I believe they had ten the other day. I talked about Henry Toto's just dumb penalties, man. Undisciplined. Doesn't look like Alabama stuff. They're usually not out disciplined, but I think they've recorded more penalties than anyone in almost in every game. At least 
four out of five, but that's got to get short up if they want to go reach their ultimate goals. Again, Bama gets the win, 49-26. Little weird games, tell of two halves, tell of two games. Bryce Young plays, I think it's not close. It got close in the third quarter, and then Bama ended up pulling away and winning by 23. So it was interesting. A little big games are run. I like what I see with, I like what I see with Alabama as we keep going into the middle of the season. But uh, Bryce Young, that's the big story. Will he play this week against Texas A&M? I don't know, but I think they really will need him against Tennessee. I think they could come up with an offensive game plan to at least beat Texas A&M with A&M struggling offense. But to reach the ultimate goals, the best player in the country, most valuable player in the country, the reigning Heisman winner, Bryce Young, will have to play, and Bama's going to have to fix their penalty issues. Moving on to the best game of the weekend this past weekend, Kentucky at Ole Miss. Rebels, I was there in person, saw a great atmosphere, tip of the cap to both teams, but Ole Miss ended up getting the win at Vaught Hemingway Stadium, 22-19. Great overall football game. Very physical game that I think you will see this upcoming week will take its tolls on both teams. Kentucky gets South Carolina at home, uh, and Ole Miss travels to Bandy. I don't think either team loses that game, honestly, and we'll get to that preview later in the week, but uh, I, I think it may be a little closer because that was a big emotional physical game this past week gained respect for both teams Ole Miss came out with an initial game plan it was a thing of beauties the Rebs dictated everything what personnel Kentucky had on the field doing orbit motions jet sweeps getting Kentucky's inside backers eyes uh chasing their chasing down running backs opening up the box getting guys out of the box Ole Miss had a great game plan anticipating what Kentucky was going to do when they brought in this personnel or gave them this look they did a really good job of that the initial game plan by Lane Kiffin and Charlie Weiss Jr. was awesome uh, Jackson Dart quarterback for Ole Miss improving each week the USC transfer exciting to see his numbers weren't great didn't throw for a touchdown pass but he was making plays when he had to when the pocket was breaking down had two nice touch balls just layering it through one was incomplete Malik Heath couldn't hang on as he was going towards the sideline but one he dropped in right over sandwiched in between the second and third levels I like what I'm seeing with Jackson Art as he's getting familiar again this is what I was telling Lane Kiffin you need to name a starter so he can prepare get used to his teammates they get used to his command in the huddle his voice as he's commanding his teammates like hey let's go do this He's prepping as the number one quarterback. You keep rolling these guys in saying, Jackson Dart starting one week, Luke Altmaier starting one week. These guys don't prepare like they're going to be the starter. And that's a big deal going into that week, getting into a rhythm each week of getting with your teammates and knowing what's going to happen. Offensive line knowing, hey, this is what Jackson Jackson says. Hey, receivers can hear. These are his hand motions. Just familiarity. And it looks like the Rebel offense is starting to feel that. Ole Miss has some center issues now. A lot of bad snaps between Caleb Warren and Eli Acker. Now, I appreciate Lane Kiffin's going to pull Caleb Warren. He was struggling against Tulsa with some snaps. And he also was at the very beginning of the game against Kentucky. They brought Eli Acker in. Ole Miss has got to get that short of you. I mean, to be fair, again, going back to Jackson Dart, he took some snaps looking like a short stop out there, filling it, making plays, at least throwing it out of bounds and not getting behind the line of scrimmage. Second half adjustments for the Rebs, though, that has to be adjusted. I mean, like I said, mentioned earlier in the power rankings, Three points in total the last two games in the second half against Tulsa and Kentucky. So teams are obviously going in, making adjustments. Now, granted, Kentucky is one of the better defensive staffs in the country. But I don't know if I'd say that about Tulsa. So it sounds like it's something happening right now. Vandy, Clark Lee and his staff, good defensive staff. It'll be interesting to see what their game plan will be, how they will adjust in the second half. Because you, you, you better bet 
You best bet. Lane Kiffin's going to come out with a plan to attack your weakness. And if you can survive the first half, make your adjustments. The last two, week if, last two weeks have proven you can hang around in the second half with them. Um, Ole Miss defense, boys. How about the Landshark defense? is playing physical and making stops and forcing turnovers when they need to. Two shade of the defense right there. Chris Partridge is at his staff. Got big stops when they needed to. Um, you call it what it is. You think Kentucky lost the game when they had the ball in the red zone, took safeties, missed, missed field goals, special teams. But Ole Miss got stops. Some of those were forced, and I like that from the Ole Miss D right now. Um, but they're a big reason why Ole Miss is playing really well right now. I think Ole Miss is sixth in the country in scoring defense, if I remember correctly. Moving to Kentucky, the big blue wall, their offensive line has to improve if the, if the Cats want to roll into that, Kentucky, that Georgia game in November with any chance to compete for the East. And with that being, with Ole Miss game being their only blemish of the season, I mean, they're getting no push. Levis is getting hit. Now, some of the Levis got to leave the pocket. He's holding too, holding the ball too long. But they got to hold up and protect more and get more push. Getting Chris Rodriguez back was huge, you could tell. But it only bumped it up about .3 yards per carry. But watching the game live and watching it again, it felt like Kentucky was somewhat establishing the run game. I think they got away from it a little bit. Got a little impatient. I thought they could have probably stuck with it a little longer. But you can tell Chris Rodriguez, big body, gets a lot of yards after initial contact, always falling forward. One of the best running backs in the SEC. He'll be a huge addition to uh, Kentucky getting back, to uh, rolling on offense. Um, they Will Levis, like I mentioned, you, you watch the game. It wasn't anything you go right home about. I know a lot of NFL personnel, scouts are watching to see how he play against a solid defense at Ole Miss. But it wasn't that he played Bad. He didn't make any mistakes. He didn't turn it over besides his fumble. I mean, he uh, his fumble died before. I get it. He's trying to make a play. I don't really hold that against him. Then he got hit in his blind side. Something's got to see. Some of that stuff's protection, though. But he wasn't just giving the ball away through the air. Wasn't a great game. Wasn't a bad game. And just It'll be interesting as the season moves forward what people think about him from a draft standpoint. I like him. He's got the most live arm in college football, I believe. He just needs to be more aggressive with his legs and take off and get down when plays are there. I think he's hanging in the pocket too long, and that could help improve the offensive line and then at least stay ahead of the sticks. But uh, Touche to Ole Miss having a great defensive game plan. The defense for, for Kentucky was good enough to win the game. Like, let's give it up for them. They had a, they had a uh, chance to win the game. It kind of felt like one of those Kentucky games where it was getting to the fourth quarter, and I was telling people, this feels like a muck-it-up Kentucky win. They're going to be there and have a chance to win it at the end. If you would have told Mark Stoops and his staff, you had two chances in the last four minutes to go down there in the red zone and win the game, I think they would have. I mean, they're one uh, – penalty away from his receiver being set at the line of scrimmage or Levis waiting half a second for him to get set from them making a for they're making a big play and winning the game because I mean Ole Miss was substituting getting a corner on late and they were picking on that guy it was the way to go they just waited a half second or they went a, went ahead a half second too early and uh a penalty wasn't said. I mean, so that was big little stuff like that Kentucky probably felt like they really had a real chance to win the game and I don't blame them but they didn't and the Rebs got the win, pulling the win out 22-19. Ole Miss getting a big win heading to the Vanderbilt and uh, Auburn games these next two weeks before they hit their five-game uh, five gauntlet schedule in the SEC. But, man, gained a lot of respect for both teams. Both teams should have a uh, – should finish strong, bearing some injuries. But Kentucky's got South Carolina at home this week. Ole Miss goes to Nashville. Uh, 
man, very exciting game, good times. I expect both these teams to finish pretty high in the standings as we stand right now in the East and West. Moving to the next game. Texas A&M at Mississippi State. Mississippi State got the 42-24 to win in Starkville this past week, just like we called. A&M looked like a young team in its first road game. That's what I said going in. That's why I couldn't pick them. Two emotional wins against Miami and Arkansas. Going on the road against a very experienced Mississippi State team in a tough environment. They weren't mature enough. They got beat in all three phases. Offense, defense, and special teams did not play good. The turnover margin was 4-1 to one in Mississippi State's favor. The Aggie defense disguised nothing and let State's offense get into rhythm. You have, As we all know, you have to throw different th- different looks at Mississippi State. You got to show them some you got to show them a pre-snap and post-snap looks. If they get into a rhythm and know what you're going to do, you're in trouble. I don't care who you are. So that's why you got to mix it up and change the looks post-snap. Mississippi State at home, very dangerous squad. They will be the rest of the year. I mean, even Georgia goes there. It's, it's starting to become a little bit of a dangerous game for them. So Mississippi State in their offense and defense plays really well there. Uh, the state defense blitz on 50% of their defensive possessions. That's changing it up and giving different looks. They don't know what's coming. A&M can't sit there in a three-man front. I know Durkins had a good game plan against Mississippi State in his past when he was uh, the Ole Miss defensive coordinator. He held him in check last year. But that wasn't the case this year. They just got too predictable. State knew what was coming. Uh, tip of the cap to Mike Leach and Will Rogers on that. The Texas A&M offense continues to struggle. Is it ranks dead last in the SEC in total offense. Think about that. Dead last. Auburn sits at 10th. That gives you a, a barometer. A&M is at 14th. It's bad. Max Johnson uh, holds the ball way too long. Took a lot of shots. He's hurt, hurt his hand. They had to bring in Haynes King. Um, Haynes King struggled through two interceptions. If you listen to Jimbo, he'll tell you that Haynes King made the plays that were there. It is what it is. Jimbo's a little biased towards Haynes King. He wanted him to win the job. Haynes King did not look good. It is what it is. Let's call it, let's call it what it is. Two plus two equals four. I can see that with my eyes. Haynes King is struggling. Um, they're struggling at quarterback in general. They have some weapons. Anaya Smith going out, his ability to make plays, improvise, is going to affect Texas A&M. Devon A-Chain, they had to get in the ball 20 times. I think they got it to him 19 but again, that guy's wear and tear, the tread on his tires by the time the end of the season goes for them to have a chance at offense, it's going to be bad. And this is nothing they can fix in season. Jimbo's the OC. He's going to keep doing what he's got to do. They need to go find a transfer portal quarterback and hire an offensive coordinator and let Jimbo just run the day-to-day. That's going to be an adjustment for him, but that is what's going to have to happen for them to get adjusted. I mean, it's showing right now. Teams are losing patience. If Paul Chris gets fired at Wisconsin, I know this is an SEC podcast, and I'm talking a little Big Ten here, but if Paul Chris, who's had great success at Wisconsin, can get fired, who is a Wisconsin alum, Jimbo's buyout, which is very high right now, and doesn't get below, what, $50 million, I think, until 2027. I mean, dude, A&M, if stuff gets bad, is going to raise the money, and they're not going to care. Not this year. But at starting next year, Jimbo better get it fixed, go into the transfer portal, or start developing Connor Wingman now. Something You have to get a quarterback. Max Johnson and Haynes King are proven they are not going to go win you championships and contend for the SEC West. That's not going to happen. Then you have to put your ego down and go hire an offensive coordinator and let him do his job. Um, going back to the game a little bit. Sorry, got off a little rant right there on how the Aggies can improve the program. Um 
A&M had a chance early, but Devon A. Chain fumbled in the red zone and State never looked back. A&M had some chances to hang around, but again, immature team. It got beaten all three phases. Uh, the field goal block for a touchdown essentially summed it up for the day. How about Emmanuel Forbes, man? Blocking a field goal for a touchdown and two pick sixes. Uh, set, I think, uh, SEC, whatever, NCAA record for most interceptions return, active record for most interceptions returned for a touchdown by Mississippi State corner Emmanuel Forbes. So props to him. That was big time. Um, corner for Texas A&M, Jalen Jones went out and State went after him and attacked. They really did. They went after Denver Harris, who will be a solid player. But Jalen Jones went out their best corner. That'll be a big impact injury. As you can tell, A&M's racking up some injuries to a young team. They're just a very undisciplined, immature team right now that I just did not think was going to get the job done in Starkville, and they didn't. State has a real chance to be in the division race. They can get a big win against Arkansas this week. Huge game against Arkansas this week. Will K.J. Jefferson play? Will we see some Malik Malik Hornsby? Who knows? But I like what Mississippi State's doing. They're starting to hit their stride right now. Um, Texas A&M, feel like they're going the other way. They go to Tuscaloosa this week. Um, just, God, man, they just can't get anything going on offense. The defense looks like it's getting a little frustrated. And essentially saying we can't hang up all game. Like We're trying to limit the explosive plays with our only our three-man front, which fits their personnel, to be fair, to DJ Durkin. But teams are going to, if you're only giving them a three-man front, teams are going to be like, all right, we're just going to run the ball and be patient and ultimately get down here. So stuff's got to change in College Station right now. But things are looking good in Starkville again. Mississippi State got the win 42-24. to Moving on, LSU at Auburn. LSU getting the 21-17, probably their sloppiest win of the season. Uh, LSU's Jordan Hare Nightmares looked to be out and about on Saturday night as Auburn jumped out to an early 17-0 lead. I th- honestly, from top to bottom, I think Auburn outplayed LSU. Auburn outgained LSU by 185 total yards. LSU only had 85 total passing yards with Jalen Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer. Jalen Daniels has to be more aggressive in the passing game. But I appreciate Brian Kelly. I'll say this. Brian Kelly will come out in his Monday press conferences and kind of call it like he sees it. Like, hey, Jaden needs to step up and, like, understand he needs to step up in the passing game, take more chances because his receivers are getting frustrated. But, and and with, with that, they understand there's going to come mistakes and turnovers. But they like what they're seeing because he's progressing. But right now, the kid looks timid in the passing game and just tries to take off and run, but Auburn kept him in the pocket. So they have to fix that. Simple it down for him and tell him, hey, look, bud, you're going to have to take chances. If you make a mistake, that's all right. We'll correct it, and you're going to get better. But it's interesting. Coming from what, uh, kind of a veteran guy, guys played for two or three years, is um, very hesitant in the passing game. It's almost like he's playing not to lose the job. But 85 total passing yards is not going to get it done against a quality opponent. Like I said, the receivers, Kayshawn Booty, guys like that look real frustrated. Um, the defense for LSU seems a little bit more opportunistic but still giving up way too many explosive plays. They need to trigger that down, especially with an explosive offense like Tennessee coming to town this week. LSU right now looks like a typical first-year new coach with a new program in Brian Kelly, fixing some culture stuff. But again, I give them credit. They fought back from 17 to nothing, night game at Auburn. Atmosphere looked like it was rocking. That's a big culture win. LSU in the past would have probably packed it in under Les Miles, Red Orr's run, and ended up getting their butt whipped. But a win's a win, man. You're 2-0 in conference if you're LSU now. 
You're two. You're two and zero in conference. You got the win against Mississippi State. You have the win against LSU. You got a big win against LSU this week, and you go to Florida the next week. So you, you need to split those. But I like the direction of the overall the LSU program right now. And there's a big culture win going into Jordan Hare, a place that the program traditionally struggles to go in. And a win's a win, man. A win's a win. It's like Brian Kelly said on a golf cart. They they're, they're not showing you where all the shots were hit. They're just showing the scores, man. But moving to Auburn a little bit, Robbie Ashford. Gave Auburn a chance. As you can tell, LSU, like we mentioned last week in the preview, mush-rushed him. Uh, tried to keep him in the pocket. They weren't really pinning their ears back. Um, but he had some explosive plays, but also had his fair share of mistakes. Auburn continues to give away games and lacks adjustments in the second half. Zero points again. Zero points again in the second half. And uh, So they've scored zero points in the second half of SEC games this year. That's unbelievable. Against Missouri... And LSU, they've scored zero points in the second half. There's something to that. It's just very interesting. I can't wait for the Ole Miss-Auburn Miss game. Maybe whoever wins it at halftime may win the game. But turnovers are becoming a major issue. It's a, it's a crisis right now in the Plains. Who lost the turnover battle 4-1 to one to LSU. They are 129th in the country in turnover margin at minus 9. Woo! That is not good. 129th in turnover margin at minus 9. Man, that, that means you are giving it up a lot and you aren't taking it away much. So you, there, there's a lot of give there. The Tigers are giving a lot of Christmas presents. But they're not receiving any or going to take any under the tree themselves. It's bad. Getting a lump of coal for Christmas there, Auburn. I mean... Something has to happen there. That's a recipe when you're not producing on offense, running the football, and you're turning it over, and you're not forcing turnovers. It's a recipe for a loss. Auburn goes to Athens this week. Will be interesting there. How much longer does Brian Harson hang on? I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's really no one there right now to make a decision to fire him. It's an interim AD with a with their compliance guy running it. Presidents all over the place. I mean, who knows Auburn right now? I mean, just – Almost just let him finish the season. Seriously, at this point, just let him finish the season. Now, if it gets real bad in Athens this week, probably look to Sunday for him to be his last day. But again, uh, Auburn probably should have won this game. Going back to this specific game, Auburn probably should have won this game Saturday. Up 17 to nothing and blew it. Turnovers and halftime adjustments and lack of offensive production in the second half is why. And that's why the LSU Tigers ended up getting out of Jordan Hare and starting 2-0 in conference play, getting the win 21-17 and a big culture win for Brian Kelly. You can knock it. I moved him down my power rankings, LSU, as you remember. So I did knock him a little bit. But again, at the end of the day, you're 2-0 in SEC play with Tennessee coming to your house for another opportunity. But moving to the next game, last game we'll preview here, was one probably nobody thought was going to be real interesting, myself included. Georgia invading Como, Columbia, Missouri. Georgia squeaking out the 26-22 to win in the surprise of the day. Missouri, I mean, you look at the stats, you watch the game, felt like they controlled most of the game. Georgia did not get its first lead until 4:03 left in the game. The Georgia offense just struggled in the first half. It looked like 2019-2020 Georgia offense where they were just struggling. Stetson Bennett was going back to his old ways. Just kind of looked like the Stetson Bennett's people would question to see if he could really get over the hump, win a national championship, beat Alabama. It looked like that. That's, I mean, that's what they looked like in the first half. Um, 
But I'll say this, they controlled the line of scrimmage, made adjustments in the second half on offense, Georgia did. That's a credit to Kirby Smart, Todd Munkin, Stacey Searles, who's the uh, OC, Todd Munkin being, uh, sorry, Stacey Searles being the offensive line coach, Todd Munkin being the offensive coordinator. Um, through three quarters, Georgia averaged, through three quarters, Georgia averaged 3.2 yards per carry. And in the fourth, in the fourth quarter, they went for 107 yards on 16 carries with Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton. Georgia lowered the ears back, got physical, and made plays when they had to. Again, I said, give Georgia credit. They changed up at half. They moved from the traditional zone scheme to more a counter-gap scheme in the second half. And you could tell that really helped them. Against the Missouri defensive line, that brought their lunch pail. Man, they were physical, man. That, that was a real physical front for Missouri. They played with a chip on their shoulder on defense. They brought it to Georgia. I mean, Kirby said it in the postgame. They got their butt whipped. In the first half, Missouri lined up and just beat Georgia's butt up front, man. It was incredible. They beat their ass up front. And it'll be interesting. I mean, that's two weeks in a row Georgia struggled. Like, and that's why I like Georgia this week, but we'll get into that preview later. Um, everyone's going to tell you Georgia struggled. Everybody in the national media is going to tell you Georgia struggled. If you remember, I kept them number one in the power rankings. I still don't think they lose a regular season game. It's all about keeping those guys motivated, getting better each week, staying healthy, which Georgia has some banged-up injuries right now. Uh, but if you go look, Georgia actually dominated the game besides the two turnovers and their struggles in the red zone. Now, that's something they, they, they admit. They've been working a lot in practice. They've been work, they worked on some stuff against Kent State, their red zone offense, which, and they got those big tight ends in Darnell Washington and obviously Brock Bowers. I mean, those, are, those are weapons. I mean, they shouldn't be struggling in the red zone, but they are. Um, Georgia had eight possessions in the red zone, and on first down, they lost yardage on six of them. Let me repeat that. Georgia had eight possessions in the red zone, and on first down, they lost yardage on six of them. That, that, that can't happen. you got to stay ahead of the chains. Uh, I know Kenny McIntosh has been banged up a little bit, but you got to lean on him and Kendall Milton, throw off play action to your tight ends. you got to stay ahead of the chains. That, 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 that's something teams are going to dive in deep defensively and advance scouting on Georgia and kind of pin their ears back and kind of figure out why Georgia's struggling in the red zone and why are they struggling on first down when they get there. It's an interesting stat. But from an explosive play standpoint, they'll get A.D. Mitchell back, who's been out, and Arian Smith, who they're big explosive guys. They should be back soon. A.D. Mitchell, I think this week against Auburn, they'll be back in Athens. Um, I don't think the turnover issues they're having on offense is going to be a consistent problem. I just think it's through the two games they played recently against Kent State and Missouri. Uh, that should get shored up. But like I said, give Missouri's D-line credit in their plan on defense. Just an overall game plan. Tip of the cap to Missouri. Blake Baker, their D.C., I think had a great plan. They played physical, brought it to Georgia. Uh, Georgia's defense, they played well all night. Kirby even complimented them. The set, but the secondary has to start tackling better on the perimeter. They have to. They're giving up extra yards on the on the uh, out in the flats between Kamari Lasser, Keeley Ringo. Guys like that have to wrap up and tackle in uh that, that would help them improve. But I thought an overall great night by Georgia. They kept them in the game the first half, kept Missouri uh, under wraps on offense. So I tipped the cap to the Georgia defense there. Uh, but besides the perimeter tackle, the thing they do have to work on, I want to circle back to here, is the, you just allowing the sustained success tackling. I think that's something right now over on college football. It's a struggle as teams don't practice tackling a lot. And it shows up on game day. And I've asked NFL scouts before, why has tackling changed right now? When you all go watch all these games, go to practices, why are teams struggling to practice? And they say, you know why? You know who doesn't struggle to practice are the teams who actually pr tackle practice, who actually practice tackling. They have pr tackle circuits. 
Like, there's a reason. I mean, obviously, if you practice it, you're going to get better. Perfect practice, you're going to get really good at it. So a lot of these teams now, especially once they get in the season, don't really tackle these kids. A lot of them come through seven-on-seven circuits. They just don't really tackle a lot in the secondary. It's not really a big deal. People, for some reason, don't like to evaluate corners off their ability to tackle. But we're going to complain when the guy takes on a running back or takes on a wide receiver screen, a bubble out there, and can't get off blocks or make tackles. So it comes back to haunt you. So tackling in the flats is something Georgia's going to have to improve on. Um, Jalen Carter, the big D tackle, D lineman, we saw him going and getting Missouri's face to start the game. Talking a lot of smack. Georgia looking like they're a little confident coming in with the edge. Uh, looks like it could have been a little bit of a cheap shot, a, block, a chop block. He suffered an ML, MCL sprain after getting cut in the first half. I don't expect him to be back till Florida. Kirby hadn't really said, but usually after researching what those injuries last, it could have been a lot worse. It looked a little dirty. You could tell maybe a little after the game, Kirby wasn't real happy with a lot of Drinkowitz. a short handshake, but... Sounded like there were a lot of talking from videos shown before the game, a lot of emotions, especially from Jalen Carter. And Missouri looked like they got one in on him, a little bit of a cheap shot. But credit to Missouri and a lot of Drinkowitz here. They got off the mat after a tough loss to Auburn last week where they probably should have won the game and came and competed for four quarters against a top-two team in the country right now. A tip of the cap to him, man. Uh, great job by Eli Drinkwitz and his coaching staff to rally those troops where they could have tanked it in after that loss to Auburn. But they didn't, and they came and easily could have beat the number one team in the country this past Saturday. So I wanted to give them credit. Uh, but Drinkwitz is still a little bit of the, hey, but we're growing each week, guy. But when you're not winning, it doesn't matter, and that falls on deaf ears. Like, that can't keep being your motive. If you're growing, you need to go win in Gainesville this week because you're facing a first-year Florida staff. And I know it's on the road, but they have their struggles. And if you're growing, you take the success you had against Georgia, even though you didn't win the game, that's all that matters. You take that success, that physicality, that chip on your shoulder, and you bring that to Gainesville this week if, if, if your team's truly growing. Or is that just something you say after every press conference after you take a loss? So I'm interested to see how that goes this week. Big game for both teams this week. Uh, Missouri needs to get back again, continue to get better, bring a chip on your shoulder, bring the physicality to Florida. They need. Let's go see if they can go win that game. That'd be a big win for Missouri. After I mean, if you go almost beat Georgia and then you go win in the swamp, you can say, hey, we are growing, and you can continue to recruit well in your state. Georgia, let, let's come play well for a full game. I know you struggled against Kent State and Missouri these past two weeks, but you got a struggling Auburn Tiger team who's your, one of your biggest rivals coming into town, 2.30 CBS game. Come show out, and I think Georgia will. I think it's going to be one that people with the line I saw early for Auburn, Georgia, which we'll get into that later in the week, is like minus 28, 29 right now. But I think Georgia plays well. Their struggles are not going to be a consistent thing. I just think it's a lull they're going through right now. But the big deal for Georgia is getting some guys healthy. But that'll wrap up our five games from uh, the week five review. Again, we're getting to the thick of things, man. We're getting to real conference play, my favorite time of the year. Um, I appreciate you joining us on this review of week five and joining us here at Mock 10 Sports. I hope you have a great week. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.